And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com, as well as podcasting uh, at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and a whole bunch of others, as well as on the homepage of richarddugan.com and the um, the programs or radio shows page. And uh, if you like uh, what you hear from our guest, uh, we're going to have a website that's going to be set up. We aren't setting it up. It's their website. We're going to link to it. And we encourage you to go to that website to continue your evolutionary process, to continue your transformation. And uh, if you like what we're doing, you know, we can always use, uh, who, who can't use a little uh, support financially? We have a PayPal and Patreon account. If you can help us out, great. We'll take any amount, and we will take energetic support as well. We'll take your thoughts, your prayers, uh, any good uh, good uh, things that, that you can send our way. We'd be greatly appreciated. And I thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have supported us. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those who will. And um, we just encourage you to stay with us. Today's program is a red-letter program. What in the world are you talking about, Richard? A red-letter program? Yes! Uh, it's a red-letter program. We're going to deal with uh, the seven messages from the Master. Uh, no, we're not talking about um, a yogi from the Himalayas here, or an avatar, or what have you. We are talking with the author, The and actually, I should rephrase that. He is not actually the author He's the compiler of the uh, information in a book called What Did Jesus Say? And uh, Reverend Terry Allen Christian, I thank you so much for for being with us. And I have to tell you, this is the very first interview that I have ever done with someone all the way from Jamaica. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. And I invite you into my home. And uh, my understanding of what the red letters mean, and I'm just happy to speak to you from Negro, Jamaica. The first thing that uh, I like to do, of course, is define terms or, 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 or kind of set the, the parameters, if you will, the boundaries uh, in which we're going to talk. Not my boundaries either, yours, your boundaries. So the first thing I want to do is find out from you uh, what is the original source of the and we'll we'll just make it the red letter edition, uh, the red letter phrases and sayings and so forth of of uh, Jesus. Um, what is the primary source material that you used to compile this book? Which again I said was what did Jesus say? I used the King James Version Bible. I drew upon the four Gospels. Only I drew upon what Jesus said in red, and I drew upon what Jesus said to those who loved and followed him. Uh, there was no need to put in the religious arguments and debates of his time because it wasn't relevant hmm. to anything going on if you're going to go for a walk with the master. So I composed these seven messages, which I know, but with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, on what would Jesus say to us if we're walking down the beach with him. Would he talk about religious arguments and debates of his time, or would he talk about love, light, truth, forgiveness, kingdom of heaven? And I knew that he would be talking about what he talks to the 
to those who loved and followed him. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is a showstopper for anyone mm. who wants to embrace that. Mm. And so I drew that from the source. So when the seven messages came to, to me, I only used the material Jesus spoke in all four Gospels pertaining to the subject of the seven messages. Okay. The thing in there is from him. Right. Now, uh, I remember an interview I did many years ago uh, at a, a, the Christian station. I, I, uh, it was actually the second station that I went to work for in my 40-year career. I was there for 15 years. But I interviewed a gentleman by the name of John Noe, and he wrote a book called The Apocalypse Conspiracy. And he went through a lot of research, and you know he would kind of set his concordance, Strong's Concordance next to his Bible, and uh, he would begin to, to try to get answers to the questions he had on his mind. And when I read his book cover to cover, uh, when I was finished, I said, you know what? It's great. I can always go to people like, hey, Reverend, uh, Reverend Christian, uh, you know, John Noe said this and he said that and he said the other thing. I thought, no, I don't want to do that. I want to make that material. I want to make it mine. So I put my Strong's Concordance next to my Bible or Bibles. I have many different versions. And I started to doing word searches. And so now when I speak, I speak from personal primary source information. And that's kind of where I'm coming from with you. And that is that we have to take, uh, we have to accept with a no argument that the King James Version is valid. It's accurate. Uh, and in my case, when I was doing my re research, that the Strong's Concordance, uh, when it uh, uh, pulls the words, uh, the original texts, the original language, if I'm correct, New Testament Aramaic, is that uh, my right? Go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. Uh, so we accept those as uh, as the, the basic boundaries of our conversation. We're not going to argue over whether or not the books are accurate or not at this point. We're not going to do that. But I am curious as to uh, why the King James, as opposed to maybe going back to and trying to, uh, I, I know you'd probably have to decipher this because I don't know what other languages you speak and or read, uh, but going back to the original languages to really get the, the deep core, if you will, of those passages, those red letter uh, edition uh, uh, words. Well, at the time that I was called to do this, this has been in the making for a long time. And so when I was called to do this, I asked uh, the Lord what he wanted me to do that wasn't done before or already. He said, tell him what I told him and nothing more. And I said, OK, so that took me into my comfort zone of the King James Version Bible. I was raised on that, uh, teeter-tottered with the Living Bible. Now, since I left home, though, I, I had looked at the different versions of the Bible. So when it was time to do the book, I never really thought about going back and attempting to do something original, original, and compete again with all the religious debates on did I use the right source, am I saying the right thing? Mm. So I needed to take the highest common denominator among Christianity so there would be no way you could dispute it without spitting up on yourself. <laughs> and so therefore, when I looked at how many different Christians supported what different versions of the Bible, and I did some research on statistics, how many believe this, how many believe that. I took the high road of the King James Version Bible and ran with it, because everybody's going to take issue over something no matter what if it's Christian. That's what I've learned on that. So I took that road, and I took the high bar right there. I think that was wise, um, but who am I? But I still think it was a wise thing to do, uh, to to have that the most common denominator, if you will, uh, that people will accept. Uh, and and uh, we are absolutely not here 
to challenge uh, any of uh, what has been written in that red-letter portion of our Bibles. As a matter of fact, I seem to recall it had to have been 82, maybe 1983, I was given a New Testament, hardcover New Testament Bible by one of the preachers at the station, and it was a red-letter edition. And, uh, and I think I read that through two or three times, and it is marked up. I mean, you would not believe the, the margin information I've got on the sides. I haven't pulled it out in a while, but, but it's, uh, it's like, okay, I, I've got questions, and I'm curious. Uh, and um, I, I honestly believe that with what you've put together here, it reinforces something that I believe that is spoken of, uh, in the Bible, and that has to do with the fact that God gave us a brain, and one of the, I'll call it edicts, that he gave us, that God gave us, was to sit down and reason together. You don't reason with your heart. You don't reason with your intuition. You don't reason with anything other than what? The brain. God gave us an incredible tool there. And that's one of the reasons why I am have always been fascinated by conversations regarding this. By the way, the seven messages, uh, if you will, the categories uh, that I'm going to share with our listeners, and we'll kind of dive into each one of these. Um, uh, first of all, there's the Christ. Then there's the Father and the Son, the Word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The kingdom of heaven, the end times, and the Holy Spirit. And I am going to start with, <laughs> unfortunately, because of where we are in this world today, the end times. Everybody keeps using the phrase that we're in uh, apocalyptic times. And when I was working, and again, this is for 15 years at this Christian station, every time something happened, in the Middle East especially, and most specifically, Oh, this is a sign, the prophecies of the Old Testament, and then this is it. Jesus will be coming soon. And there was one man I I, uh, heard about in uh, 1987 or 88. And he said that Jesus would be returning September 17, 18, or 19. Now, his name was Edgar Wisenot. Uh, he passed away in 2004. I actually remembered him about five years ago, and I looked him up, and I realized he'd passed. And he said that that's when he was when Jesus was coming back. And the 17th and the 18th and the 19th rolled on and we're still here. And you never heard from Ed again until about June, July, August of the following year when he said he told everybody that his math was off. I guess two plus two was seven at that time. And so he says it was not last year. It's this year, uh, 1989, I believe it was. And the 17th, 18th, and 19th rolled around and went, and you never heard from Ed again. And Jesus, as far as I know, had not returned. And yet we keep hearing these, these phrases from people, these, these uh, pronouncements, that here we are. This is it. This is the end. And you know what? There are people who are not even believers who do not uh, uh, read and, and understand what's in the Bible, even a little, and they're scared out of their minds thinking the same thing. Tell me, in regards to that section and messages, and you and I, I know Jesus said that no man knows the day or the hour, or the hour or the day, I, and I paraphrase, so forgive me for not quoting it correctly. 
But can you talk to us about this aspect of the end times and what did Jesus say about the end times? Well, what I'm going to do is try to work off of what I just heard you, you know, run away with. Uh, I'm old enough to say when the ATM card came out, that was the one world sign right then and there. Mark of the Beast? Yeah, the Mark of the Beast, because <laughs> you had to have a PIN number for the ATM. There you go. And, of course, nobody was going to take that until, it, until they had access to their money, of course. And then, uh, and then was the end of the time when they quit pumping gas in your car. You had to get out and pump it for yourself. <gasps> something must be wrong. Oh and so I've been around for a while. I've been around long enough to see... Uh, the hearsays and the nonsense of, of Christianity for 45 conscious years. Mm. I'm 68, and so therefore 45 conscious years I have watched and observed from age 23 on. What I am most mystified by is how few Christians are even concerned about being prepared for the end time from a spiritual, obedient, loving, disciplined point of view. Mm -hmm. There's so overwhelmed and misled by religious opinions of the end time that could be easily broken down. All you got to do is go online and start searching debates through YouTube and you'll see how little they really can agree on. And these are people with high religious academia credentials. And so every religious academia person I've ever seen was trained by the school designed to protect their own story they're hitting to tell it the way they got it or else there'd be a higher level of agreement. Mm. You cannot have so many disagreements over one book and then call it an infallible uh, uh, organized book and God is not the father of confusion. That is uh, a walking contradiction in vocabulary. And when you really break it down to what Jesus said and the four gospels could not exist with, I mean, the new Testament could not exist without the four gospels. You could not have it. So therefore, this, that's how powerful it is. You get rid of all that Paul said, everybody else, but you get rid of what Jesus said, and it's just another story and mm. theory. Mm -hmm. And if the Jewish people couldn't understand their own Bible and they were dedicated and loyal to read it and pray to it and honor that, I think understanding shows up in obedience. So therefore, Christians have, you know, only the few are obedient to what Jesus said, the many aren't. So Jesus already told us what's going to happen. So do I repeat it or do I tell you if you're not walking in peace for the end time to happen now, you better start finding out what Jesus said because <laughs> you're not ready for it. Yeah. And if you want to read Revelation 3, just read the chapter and you're going to find out that a lot of people aren't ready for it. And Jesus is coming and he's a little bit bothered and upset with us. Not the world. The world's already doing what it's expected to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when he comes to see us, are we going to create a religious defense based on uh, the Roman Catholic Church, Pentecostal, the Baptist, Church of God, Church of Christ? Which one do you want to take? Uh, the Mormons, the SDAs? The, which one do you want to say, <laughs> I did what they said, but I didn't do what you said, Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. When you're on bended knee, you better know what he said. Mm -hmm. So what I like in my book, I like how it ends on that part. And here's how it ends. Jesus said, watch, therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at a time you do not expect. Here's what I like. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So if we're not more fascinated and excited to watch what's going on, 
Mm. We're terrified and fearful of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And we have no idea what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. And we have no idea what how to be in a relationship with Jesus. It's not personally by how often we read the Bible. It's personally by us doing what he said every day in every way. Mm -hmm. So I can't tell you any more warnings. They've been around for many years. I can only say <laughs> it's time to heed the warning by how we live in our own home. Yeah. And the virus has got everybody so locked into your home. I think it's God's way of testing us like he allowed Job to be tested. Then mm. he allowed Job to be tested. Okay, he allowed that. When I learned that, it helped me deal with some very difficult tribulations in my life because I knew God had called me to do something. So therefore, this must be my test. And if there's anyone who could take to God the mocking of Christianity, it would be Satan. Just like he could say, Job is really protected by you. Therefore, he supports you. So he let Job be challenged. The Christians are being challenged. Now, what are we being challenged at? Mostly to stay at home with our loving wife, loving husband, loving children, right? Our loving home. We're being challenged. We're walking in God's uh, temple. Our body is his mm -hmm. temple. Have we carried it on like a woodshed? We have this opportunity to help our family live at home, do the best we can. If we're out of food, we can fast. God will deliver. Or are we going to be mad, worried, concerned, upset, politically centered, mad at everybody, and call ourselves Christians? You see the hypocrisy mm -hmm. in that? Oh, yeah. 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 I absolutely so do. Testing it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, of course, I've also heard the phrases, too, that well, this is God's judgment. And, well, I remember back in 1981, 82, 83, and we carried the old-time gospel hour with Jerry Falwell. And, of course, when AIDS and uh, HIV-AIDS came out, it was uh, declared that this was God's judgment. And I thought, I thought that was over with the Old Testament, you know. Uh, I like the way you phrase it, though, that uh, uh, this is an opportunity for us uh, to be in peace. Now, when this all started, and I'm going to say back in December when I started hearing about this, and I kind of had this feeling, I had this feeling that this was not going to be a short-term thing. I mean, I knew that uh, when we have the influenza that circles the globe and it hits the United States in the late uh, December, January, February, March, and then it goes away then comes back again the following year and so forth. Um, I was actually excited, not, not for the devastation that, that this virus would bring, but for the opportunity that it provided all of us really to speak and, and speaking to what you just uh, spoke to, and that is finding that peace. Now, from September of last year to the present, and throughout the rest of this year, uh, I have been declaring that this is 2020, the year of perfect vision, not outer vision, but inner. And that now is the time. And I had no idea that we were going to be sequestered at home. Now is the time that we need to go within to find out who we really are, to listen to that still small voice. Um, so to that end, let's go to that one section in the book, which I believe is actually the last one. Let's talk about that still small voice, which if I if I'm correct, I can also refer to as the Holy Spirit, the guiding, shall we say, the guiding light in our lives. If we will but go within to seek it, to find it, to listen and then to follow and know that, like Jesus told us, that the, the birds of the air, they, they don't toil. They don't work uh, nine to five. 
and look at how well they're taken care of. And here you are, children of God. You don't think he's going to take care of you? And that's the one thing I find so fascinating with the fear. Uh, And I'm sure it's amongst Christians, too. It's like, wait a minute. You were created by this incredible being who loves you beyond measure. You are priceless. He takes care of the birds. You don't think he's going to take care of you? That's the thing that always perplexes me about these kinds of crises. But talk to us about this, the, the Holy Spirit and, 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 again, this aspect of going within. Well, first of all, when I hear about the Holy Spirit, I'm reminded, and I put it in my book, Jesus said, Now I want to tell you about the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, he goes on and tells his disciples this is because he's he's introducing us them to the Holy Spirit. So they'll introduce us. That's the power of John 17, the last prayer. Okay, And, and it goes on to say that the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to know and say. So if you're walking with the Spirit, you're living, it starts in your bedroom of your home. And then in your home, you're listening to this Spirit. But how would you know the Spirit's voice if you didn't recognize what Jesus said? Because the Holy Spirit is here to help us understand and know what Jesus said. And we have his words. So therefore, I've been in churches and I've seen people act like they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know it's the Spirit, but the word holy would not attach, would not be attached to that mm. once they leave that environment and go home. So if the Holy Spirit is not directing you at home, you only find it when you're at church. I'm not sure that's the Holy Spirit, <laughs> but that is a religious perception yeah. of it. Yeah. So if the Holy Spirit is there guiding us, it'll give us a peace through this. But how do we recognize it? How will it recognize us if we haven't dedicated ourselves to know what our Lord and Savior Jesus actually said? So how can the Spirit remind us of uh, Jesus when he said, we're in trouble around the world? Now, I counsel with people online around the world in different countries. I'm from America. I came to Negril, Jamaica, seeking divine healing 10 years ago with bladder cancer. I got it. I received it. I understood doing what Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark was a key to my healing. I've been online helping, so I understand Job. But when I help people now, how do we get past this? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, how can the Holy Spirit remind us, blessed is the pure in heart, for they'll see God, if we don't know what Jesus said? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Well, why aren't the Christians the peacemakers? Where is the purity of our heart? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Let's suck it up and absorb the conflict that we're taking by doing what Jesus said. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kind of evil things against you. But this wasn't Christians on Christians he was speaking about. Mm -hmm. But that's what our problem is in today's society. So... The Holy Spirit is the one that that calms our heart and drives us to find out what Jesus said. Now, there's a religious spirit that wants us to pick up this Bible and thump people based on how they think it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we got 30,000 different Christian religions worldwide online right now around the world with the Bible giving it different interpretations. So therefore, the Holy Spirit to me is the one that causes you to calm down. But you must listen to it. And to listen to it, you must shut up. <laughs> I love that. 
<laughs> you know, it's a shame that uh, that he didn't actually say that word for word. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the one of the conclusions that I have come to uh, in regards to especially specifically the New Testament is that the New Testament should only contain six books, the four Gospels, the book of Acts and the book of Revelations. The reason I say that is this. Because all of the others are letters that Paul wrote to all of the other uh, uh, churches around who were moaning, groaning, and complaining about understanding what was said and what the meanings are and this and that and the other. And it's like, you know, if you people would just get it, we wouldn't need the other books in the, Old Te- in the New Testament. The six should have been the Gospels and uh, the book of Acts. It should have ended there. And then the book of Revelation for the end times. End of book. Much shorter, much more concise, you know. Um, but that's just that's just my opinion. One of the other aspects. Go ahead. I'll let you. I'll let you talk about that. I need to tag that. Yes, please. Because not only is that very nerving and gutsing for you to say, period, but it's also very wise and insightful too. Because the the book of Acts is written by Luke. He told the story. He traveled with with Paul. The first half of Luke, I mean Acts, is about Peter because. That's really holds truth. And the second half is with Paul, because Paul's on the road, and, and Luke is his traveling companion. Mm. We don't need to understand much more except that one, because that gives us the, a person's opinion of what goes on. Yeah. Now, First and Second Peter and First John matches what Jesus said so closely, and what I like about those two is they, they each declare, we walked with him, we heard God speak, we saw this. Mm-hmm. Now, that's called witnesses. Paul says, I got my gospel by private revelation with no witnesses. This is my gospel. Either you follow it or even the angels cannot dispute this. And the, and, and the threats that came out causes me to really under, understand that we need to stay with the four gospels and revelation. And, and that's an important part of what you just brought up. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, only 1% have the nerve to even mention something like that. Because then they're going to be called all kinds of evil names because they broke rank. Yeah. In the beginning, they killed and excommunicated whoever broke rank. <laughs> yeah. There was a, a wonderful satirist, satirist. His name was Stan Freeberg. He since passed away. Loved his work. He put together a couple of wonderful albums uh, that my dear friend and I, uh, back in grade school, high school, and college, used to listen to called The United States of America, The Early Years. And then he put out another one called The Middle Years. And I think The Early Years went through maybe... Uh, about 1800, uh, during the Revolutionary War, uh, actually uh, uh, went back as far as uh, Christopher Columbus and so on and so forth. And it was great satire. And um, and and he used to poke fun. And it's one of those aspects where I remember when in, I wish I could recall exactly what year it was, but it was in the 80s, early 90s, when the movie The Last Temptation of Christ came out. Uh, and you talk about, you know, uh, the uninformed. And I remember we would hear the news on the Christian station about it and how the Christians were up in arms and, and that the, the script said this and the script said that and on and on and on. When the script hadn't even been released yet, let alone the movie. And they were protesting and they would go to Hollywood and they would park and pay the, the production company uh, for the privilege of parking so they could go and protest, which I thought was kind of backwards. In any event, uh, the more they spoke about it, 
the curiouser I got. So I bought the book. And I didn't read the whole thing, but what struck me more than anything else was the preface. Kazantzakis basically, and I paraphrase here, he basically said, these are just my musings. What if? Then I went to see the movie. Not a great movie, but I thought that the premise was intriguing. It, I didn't, and, and, and maybe I don't have enough reverence, but I didn't find anything blasphemous about it. And I have since learned, uh, especially through the foibles of some of our politicians, that the more fuel you throw on the fire you're trying to put out, the bigger the fire gets. Whereas when you just, in the case of the politicians, when you just fess up, I've been accused of this. I admit, yes, I am sorry. I have shamed my wife, my children, my family, my position as a congressman, my sen- a senator, whatever position you're holding. And guess what? The problem goes away. If they had just left this movie alone and said nothing, the movie would have gone away very quietly because nobody would have ever heard of it because it was not, it wasn't even a B movie, okay? Uh, and I find that, that um, I wish I could remember who, uh, who, whose quote this is from, but it ta- you know how it talks about, you know, be careful and pick, pick your battles. Pick your battles carefully. Um, there's a, there's also a, a, a New Testament passage. There's a, uh, it, and I do believe this is what it was Jesus speaking, speaking about, he says, and again, I'm, I'm probably taking this out of context, Reverend, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm open to correction. Resist not evil. All right. Now I just, all I want to say to that is this. It's not saying give in to evil, but walk away from it. It's like a brick wall. You can't go over, under, or around it, and you're never going to go through it. You can sit there and push, but what are you doing? You are expending your energies trying to break through something you can't. What if you turned around, went the other way, and put your energies into something of a positive and or productive nature, a constructive nature, like today? On my way into the station, I stopped off. Uh, as you see here, I stopped off to, to get my coffee. My, actually, it's my chai latte. And there was a gentleman in a, tr- in, a, in a small little van who came up to me and asked me for $20 for gas. And normally you'd be suspicious. But after I got my uh, drink, I said, uh, I said to him, I says, you need, you need gas for your vehicle to get back to Oklahoma? I'll tell you what. You follow me to the gas station. I'll put gas in your, in your vehicle. And that's what I did. Now, I w- told him, go ahead and put in 40. And when I told him that, he says, well, it probably won't even take 40. He says, don't worry about it because it'll just be put back into my account. Um, that kind of, you know, it's like, do I, oh, this, do I get suspicious of this gentleman? Do I wonder, well, if I gave him $20, which I did not have cash, uh, is he going to use it for drugs or booze or, I, well, if he is in need of something specific and I can provide it, I'll provide it if I can, if I have the wherewithal. Um, that's that's kind of how I see that passage. Resist not evil. Don't fight it. Walk away from it. 
uh, and, and the other aspect of it, too, is if if all you do most of your life is look for the devil, you're going to find him. But if all you do most of your life, all of your life is look for God and his peace and his love, my gosh, you'll find it. That's that's my perspective. I'd love to hear you talk on that. Well, I believe that your perception is true. Now, I you know, whether or not resisting evil is is our imagination against ourselves. When the guy come up and said, would you have $20? That happens to me uh, a lot in America when I was there, you know, because it's easy to do that. And I did the same thing that you do. Instead of thinking about it, uh, I'll, I'll go and put gas in it more than he asks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody asks me for a dollar, I'll give them a dollar. If they say, well, if they see I have more than a dollar and they say, well, could I have more? I'll say no, because you asked me for a dollar. If you'd asked me for three dollars, <laughs> it'd be a different discussion. So I know that you're in the habit of asking. So you ask for a dollar. Here's your dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone says they want some money for food, I'll go get them something, some eat. We'll go get mm-hmm. some food right then and there. And I'll give them a little bit more than what they thought. Uh, I do the same thing down here in Jamaica. When I walk the beach, it costs me $30, $40 to walk the beach. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm down here, and that's nothing. That's giving uh, 10 people $4 a piece. Yeah. Uh, and $4, believe it or not, buys them something really good to eat, not on the beach. you got to walk across the street on the other side where mm-hmm. they live, mm-hmm. but it helps them. Yeah. Are you, are you meet a lady who's working on the beach to sell things, and she's got children. Uh, because they have problems with baby mamas and baby daddies here the way they do in America. Uh, I, I like to help where the help is called upon. Mm-hmm. But the best way I try to help is to help someone learn how to think better about their situation so that they will think better about who they are, especially oh. Christians. And if we don't help one another become strong where we live, they're always going to be looking down the block for help. And that's where the battle of good and evil takes place, yeah. down the block. Yeah. So if you don't wake up in the truth of what you believe as a Christian and wake up with it in your bed, you're not going to take it in your head anywhere because it's not there. So if you don't lay down at night and get up in the morning in your prayers, you're not there during the day. You're a walking, desperate contradiction. Reverend Terry Allen Christians, my guest, his book, his latest work is What Did Jesus Say? The Seven Messages from the Master, the Christ Jesus. We'll talk more about that as we continue here on this program, which is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Here in 2020, the year of perfect vision, I'm Richard Dugan. I ask you to stay right where you are. Tell me your stories And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I'm here with uh, Reverend Terry Allen Christian, and we're talking about his book, What Did Jesus Say? The Seven Messages from the Master. Uh, What I'd like to ask you next is uh, about your background. Now, you have already told us that at the age of 23, uh, I would put it in my context that at the age of 17, for me, that's when I began my search. And I remember one of the ministers, when I shared this story with them, they said, well, you know, uh, once you find Jesus, then your search is over. And I knew well enough to know and said to this person, I said, no, once I found Jesus, my search has just begun. And I really and I'm still searching. I don't have all the answers. I know who does. (laughs) But and, and I would love to say that it's Reverend Terry Allen Christian, but even he would say, uh, no, don't even look to me. 
don't go there. With don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is part of the problem that we find with uh, uh, with our world, not just today, but going back, you know, millennia, actually, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Catholic Church, of which I was born and raised into. Uh, and I have no disdain for it. I love the ritual, the ceremony, the tradition. It's beautiful. Uh, when I was married to my first wife, uh, <clears throat> I would attend the Byzantine Rite of the Catholic Church. Uh, they did everything in Slavonic. I even have a hard copy of it, uh, of the liturgy uh, at home. And I just, it was beautiful. Uh, as far as the doctrine and dogma, that's a whole nother story. We won't go there. But one of the things that I find uh, fascinating, and I will share with this with you, and my listeners already know this, that for about a year and a half, I was a member of another faith that took me in, so to speak. I was looking for a group to belong to, to be accepted by, because I was feeling like I wasn't really accepted uh, where I was working, maybe, or what have you. And, and, and you know, we all get lonely. You know, we all want to be, be accepted and, and be a part of a group. And uh, it was a beautiful experience until about the end of the year and a half. I had to make that final step in the faith to, uh, to accept a partic- the final uh, piece of the puzzle. And I just couldn't do it, not because I didn't believe it, but because I began to realize I had become a member of this faith under the false pretense of, Wanting to be part of the community and be accepted. And that is not the reason why you join, you, you become a believer of anything. You become a believer of something because you believe it. And so I told the gal, I, I, I'm going to have to respectfully step away. And she says, that's fine. We'll take your name off the roll. And, uh, uh, and you're welcome to come back anytime, even if you just come back to visit. Here's the real irony, though, Reverend. When I uh, went to become a member of this faith, I went to the uh, directory office of the Catholic Church I was born and raised in. I asked them to remove my name from the list uh, of uh, members because I was no longer going to be a member. And they said, uh, and I had actually typed up a letter and I gave it to them. And she said, we'll put this in your file. To which I said, you and the FBI have my file? Wow. Uh, can't get off the rolls of the Catholic Church, but I was able to get off the rolls of the Baha'i faith. Okay? In terms of belief, what is it that is required of us from uh, what Jesus said to, uh, how do I put this, be, uh, do I, do I want to say be right with God, uh, to be led into the gates of heaven, and St. Peter's going to you know, say, come on in! Um, to be blessed and to receive all of the blessings in this world, or uh, I mean, I don't know what uh, do I get a, a special uh, uh, membership card, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What is it that, uh, in as far as what Jesus said about belief, that uh, that we as people, as human beings, as God's creation, need to do, or is there anything we need to do? Well, let's 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 look at that because you really outed yourself there, you know. Uh, that's uh, okay. Raised with the Catholic Church, so we understand that. <laughs> and, and, that. and you are one of the few that still could appreciate the reverency for its production show. It's right mm-hmm. up there next to Disneyland. It's sure. awesome. Uh, Great. Okay. Can't take issue, even though I don't quite imagine that's how it went down in Jesus' time. They were no. wrapped in so much gold. 
and lace and 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 red and velvet and all that other stuff. I don't quite perceive that that was the church called the way. No. Okay. So we know that Christianity is not a religion, even though it's defined that way. Mm-hmm. Religion is humans trying to work their way to God, uh, structuring a, a, a theology, a doctrine. Uh, and, and Christianity might be God coming to us saying, here's a relationship with my son. So if we, if we take the Gospel of John, uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish. Okay, well, if you believe in something, you I don't understand how people can say, Christians can say they believe in Jesus, and then they consider what he says is not as relevant because they've been told religiously it's only for the Jews and those under the law. They made it into a religion, and then therefore we must now listen to Paul or someone else because those are the Gentiles. He saved us. He come in like Paul was a walk-on player. Without Paul, the Gentiles would never, ever have a chance. And so if you want to know what you need to be saved and you're not sure, then you better find out what Jesus said because he came here and told the story. Mm-hmm. And so or the more you read what he says in red to those who loved and followed him, you cannot dispute it. But if you don't read it, you don't even know what you're doing is in error. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's so humbly when he said, I've called for the sinners to be repentance. And when you find out that you really are not in God's grace, that you have sin, you want to get under this thing, it becomes a repentance. My first repentance was childish. What did I know about it? But my second repentance is 46 was a gutting relation, a gutting experience. So therefore, had people have just told me the truth, let me see the truth, I'd have been spitting up a long time ago. But it all depends on how you're perceiving your sin or your walk in life. Mm. And as long as you don't read what Jesus said and you feel the Holy Spirit's conviction, then you just feel it's normal to do what you want to do. Mm. So therefore, if we're not willing to repent and be baptized, yeah, in water. So you feel the breath of air gone from you. Mm-hmm. So many people use that as a dispute. Well, if your heart's not right, then baptism isn't for you because baptism is not a second bath you're taking uh, just to get into the room. It's something that is so spiritual that if you don't desire to do it, you've been religiously misled. Mm-hmm. So therefore, once you have this personal relationship with Jesus, if you believe in him, wouldn't you want to know what he said? That's the question I'm asking everyone. Mm-hmm. And if you knew what he said and you did what he said, could you get in trouble for that? What kind of trouble are you going to be in if at the end of your life on bended knee you said, Jesus, I did what you said. Mm-hmm. You didn't tell me to follow Peter, James, John, or Paul, or none of them others. You told me to follow you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You told me to follow your words. And you told me your words were spirit and life. And you told me that the word of God, which was the Old Testament, revealed and proved that who you are and here we are. And now you're here. And then you say, now I tell you. Well, when Jesus said, now I tell you, that transcends everybody in the Old Testament right then and there. When he says, you were told, but now I tell you, hello, that sort of changes the playing field if he's your Lord and Savior. So I think the biggest disconnect and the biggest fraud is like Satan in the Garden of Eden. If he wanted, if you want to say he tricked Eve, let's say that he gave Eve another seduction that she'll be like God and can interpret things. And she got what it, and she brought in Adam. Let's blame Eve for Adam. Let's blame Adam because he didn't tell Eve no. We can religiously create that argument. But what makes us think that how we're interpreting the Bible isn't just as uniquely different as how we're in the Garden of Eden? Because if we're not doing what Jesus said at the end of our life, have we missed something entirely under the title of man-made religions? Mm -hmm. 
Is it the BI? Is it is it the Orthodox? The non-Orthodox? Is it the Roman Catholics? Is it the Baptists? Is it the Pentecostal? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the word religion is defined in the Bible as taking care of the poor, the sick and the widows. It's not building a building and putting gold fixtures in and buying a plane. And that's not religion. No, but when you break it down and you find out that Jesus told Peter, you build the church and gave him authority in front of witnesses. And then they start the church called the way. It didn't say build another version of the Jewish church. It did. The, 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 it wasn't in there. Jesus yeah. said, "Teach them what I taught you to follow my commandments." So Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to twenty builds a new concept of a church. That's mm-hmm. all there was to it. That's yeah. all there was to it to be what you say you are yeah. and not use it as an excuse. Let me throw a couple things out to you that I've pondered for quite some time. One of them is that uh, as you rightly uh, expounded there about uh, what Jesus asked us to do, uh, he, did not, uh, he did not convert to Christianity. He was, he was born and raised in the Jewish tradition as a human being, right? He was born and raised in the Jewish tradition. Ergo, if I was to follow Jesus and, of course, the words that he spoke— then if I was going to take on any moniker, I would be a Jew because Jesus was a Jew. Okay? That's, that's the first point. And um, the second point is that if I am correct, the word Christian was created by the Romans as an insult. It was almost like uh, the, the, the seven deadly words you cannot say on radio broadcasting by the FCC and yet the that's what these followers these supposed believers in Jesus that's what they did they took on that name and I thought why would you why would you do that other than maybe to to sort of throw it back in the Romans face and say fine well then we'll be Christians but uh, it's one of those those aspects because I've I've had some incredible conversations with rabbis uh, as far as uh, the the Torah, the Old Testament, and the conversations we've had. And I want to ask you in this light, in terms of, again, what Jesus said, am I correct that there was an old, uh, there was, a, a, there was a, what's called the Old Covenant, there was, which, which we could maybe interpret as a contract. There's an old contract. The first contract, all right? And uh, it has been stated that, uh, in the Old Testament, that there will come one who will bring a new covenant or new contract. And, and, and I'm going to kind of put it in this context. And what's going to happen is this person is going to come along. They're going to sign off on the old contract. Okay, this is done. This is over. And here's the new contract. And it encompasses all of the old contract, but it keeps it very simple. Love. Love is the new contract. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love. That is the new covenant. Which means that the old 613 laws of the Jewish tradition, again, that would be followed by those who come across the Messiah and follow and believe, they don't have to follow those anymore. Those are no longer in play because the new law is the law of love. Am I correct? There was 
Contract number one, it's done, it's finished, it's over, and now we're under a new contract? Well, I'm sure going to be careful how I answer that because that <laughs> subject me to opinions, and that will automatically subject me to gr- gross religious academia uh, debate or attack. I don't want to get you in trouble. No, no, okay. Yeah, I have fun with that all the time on Facebook. That's my purpose here. Okay. I think a lot of what you touched on was real, but I will say, at age, according to this, to the New Testament, according to the Gospels. Jesus was questioned around 12 years old. You know, what are you doing here? You're not with your parents. He said he's about his father's business. So to me, that transcended just being Jewish. Now, if he was planted in the Jewish bloodline, is to fix, is to follow through with the Jewish Bible, what God said. Mm-hmm. Now, we do know that what God said to Moses was 10 laws, but we got to wonder about those other 603 added to it now. Because there's some pretty intense laws of, uh, mm-hmm. I would call, religious opinion. Mm-hmm. It's, we do know that when Jesus finally struck out and made his mark, and he passed the test that would fulfill the Jewish religion, he passed that 40-day here, 40-day there, this is the test, I got baptized. And then he said, hey, here I am. And it was a whole new level playing field now. And so he, if I'm not too careful, he lectured and, and rebuked the Jewish religion and their nonsense of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And he set the, he changed the playing field. He fulfilled what, what was going to happen, and he didn't even want to go to the cross. Can we just not, before I leave this audience, can we need, need to understand that if you haven't read what Jesus said, then you don't really know what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane that was uniquely different. You don't know that even though he knew what was going on, because he had that transformation on the mountaintop, he knew what was happening. But when he sobered up out of that and the endorphins was gone and he was sweating blood and had anguish, it's because he knew what it was like to be nailed to the cross because they were doing it all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he did not want to do it. Yeah. So this is not something he said, oh, yeah, yeah, let, send me on down there, beam, bomb, bomb. I'm going to go down there and do this for everybody. Now bring it, it on. Was not, <laughs> it, yeah, it was not that way. So when he did God's will, then that meant he took our excuses away right then and there. Because you cannot have an excuse and not do God's will and think that's going to be okay and follow Jesus who didn't follow the excuses. Mm. So therefore, I think we have a new religion. So I'm told out of Antioch they were called Christians first, and it was a slander. It was people, the followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think that I did. I only, I only identify with the Romans a little bit differently, and I try not to identify with nobody at all, <laughs> except uh, what did these apostles do? I read all of Apostle Paul's epistles in one day, one time. When I said to the Lord, how come he's so dominant? How come there's so many divisions? And the Spirit says, well, just read what he said. Read all of his apostles in one day. Now, that's called impact learning. Mm-hmm. So I with his his last one in the Bible, uh, uh, this one page long, and I read them backwards up to Romans because they're in the Bible based on how long they are. Not the order is based on how long the epistles are, not the importance of them whatsoever. I didn't know so that. Romans is longer mm. than First Corinthians. Romans is longer than Second Corinthians. Romans is the longest one of them all. So I read them all. Uh, from 5 in the morning till 11 p.m. at night. I was amazed. I've done it two different times since then. I just got through doing it last week because I want to know why are we so divided if we're talking out of one book? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, don't do what Jesus said. We're following a form of religion. When Paul said, I got my gospel all by myself, direct revelation, without God, no fellowship with the apostles, they never helped at all. To me, that's triple red flag. 
Now, if we're having a difficulty with, is Jesus Jewish and was he speaking to the, if we're having difficulties understanding anything 2,000 years later, then we don't know nothing. So we might as well understand what Jesus said, because that's all we're, le- we're held accountable for. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I, it's funny, I, I even talk to people about uh, two, two documents. Uh, I'll call them both of, I'll call them documents. And the first one, uh, is of course the Bible and goes back many thousands of years and um, it was written in it was not written in English ladies and gentlemen let me just first say that okay was not written in English I really wish that our educational system had had uh, had the wherewithal when I was a kid growing up uh, and a matter of fact I went to kindergarten and first grade in Catholic school and then my parents put me in public school which I don't think was a bad thing but nonetheless so you have the uh, Old and New Testament. They're written in non-English language. Then you have uh, another document uh, that was created uh, about 100 and 230, uh, 20 years, 35, I, I, I don't know, maybe 250 years ago, called the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States along with the Bill of Rights. Now, that was written in English. And there's one amendment and I, I, I did an interesting search on this, and I thought it was really humorous when I came to this conclusion. You got the Second Amendment about, you know, the right to bear arms. And the argument over what it means has literally been going on since it was put into the Bill of Rights back in the late 1700s. And here's the point. That was written in English, and we're still debating it. I'm not surprised that we're debating over the Bible too, but I'm definitely surprised that we're debating over the Second Amendment or any of the other amendments to the Constitution uh, because they were written in English. And how is it that we cannot seem to grasp that? And I'm not getting into a discussion over the rightness or wrongness or what it means. I'm making the point about our ability to understand something, uh, you know, and, and that time doesn't seem to change a thing. That no matter, and I loved this phrase that was shared with me many years ago, uh, Reverend. Truth is truth until it's written down. Because as soon as it's written down, it's debated. <laughs> it's debatable. Yeah. I want to ask you a question about uh, one of the passages, one of the things that Jesus said. He was in conversation with his disciples, uh, having performed these various miracles, as they are called. And um, they are in awe. Wow, that is pretty darn cool, man. Hey, uh, could you teach us how to do that stuff? And again, folks, I'm paraphrasing here. And he basically says, what, this? The water to wine and the loaves and fishes and da 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 the healing of the blind and the sick and da-da-da-da-da. This stuff? Sure, I could teach you how to do this. But that's nothing compared with the works that you are going to do. You are going to do greater works than these. And I honestly believe in my experience, and I'm almost 60, so you've got eight years on me. I honestly believe that the greater works that he's referring to is the transformation of our lives from what we once were to what we can become. 
And that's what this program is really all about in terms of new paradigms for a new world and looking for those new ways of living. Uh, Your thoughts on what Jesus was referring to in the greater works that you will do. Well, he did, he did say that when he left, it's good for you that I go because the Holy Spirit will come and lead you and guide you. And that meant that we would have the same leadership and guidance that Jesus had because the Holy Spirit represented God. Jesus would say, what I, what I have spoken to you, my Father has told me to say. I speak to you what my Father tells me to say. So when we know what Jesus said, it's in our consciousness, it's spirit and life. And then the Holy Spirit, it transformed my life. At 23 years old, I stuttered so bad I couldn't say five words in a row without my tongue slapping the inside of my mouth. My family and friends laughed and made fun of me. I later went on, read, I dropped out of school at 16, left a violent home. I later went on after my awakening at 23 and read 500 books to become a motivational speaker, did 2,500 speeches around America and Canada before I was called into the ministry. I've experienced 10 years of Job-like stuff, but it never affected my attitude because it transformed my attitude many years ago. So I, I'm, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a 45-year Christian, one year times 45. Mm-hmm. If we're not maturing and not growing, then we're not paying attention to what Jesus said because somehow we're religiously excused it away. Mm-hmm. And so the, his apostles, Peter and John, you know, we need to know Peter was beautiful at what he did his work. And then John, the last apostle to die, and you don't want to, you don't want to know why John was the only, <laughs> the only apostle that they couldn't martyr, the oil wouldn't boil, and the, he, they saved his gospel till last? You don't want to know why? Are you serious? Then you must have a religious opinion about something. Mm. If we're not doing what Jesus said, we're not growing. Mm -hmm. You don't grow as a Baptist. You don't grow as a Pentecostal. You don't grow as a Catholic. You only grow in the religion they're teaching you. You grow spiritually when you do what Jesus said because the Holy Spirit is directing you on a daily basis to help, to love, to heal, to forgive, and to lift up. Every day, 24-7. Well, it is certainly a a remarkable life that one can live when uh, reading and following uh, the words uh, of Jesus and what Jesus said. Uh, I I think one of the aspects that I'm saddened by the fact that it is not in any of the Gospels is that, and again, it's just because it's not there doesn't mean that it didn't exist, and that is that I, I don't know anywhere where it talks about where Jesus experienced joy and happiness where he laughed. And I know that he enjoyed fellowship with people who were following him. I get that. But uh, oh, we know he got angry. We know he cried. We know he, uh, like you said, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Hey, you know, uh, <clears throat> this cup, uh, really, could you give this to someone else? Because I really, I really don't want to do this. And I know that was his human side. He knew what he was here to do. I, at least I believe that, that that's the case. Um, but it's like we have, and, and I read this somewhere, and I thought this was rather interesting, that we have so deified the Christ that we can't even, he's so high up on the pedestal that we can't even get close to him. Uh, that, that, you know, it's like you and I, Reverend, we're sitting here, we're having a, 
Why can't I have a conversation with Christ the same way I have it with you? Well, it's because he's the son of God and, and he's in heaven and he's doing this and he's over there and you can't do it because he's royalty. And I think that's, I, I, there's a part of me, you know, people talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, but yet it, it, it's, it's, it, do you see where I'm going with this? No, I think you're right on it because that's the religiosity of Christianity. And, you know, the Catholic Church put it way up there, put that cross way up in the air now. So everybody would look up. Okay, not look, not look around to see what's going on, just look up. And so as long as we don't want to be what Jesus says, then, and we're told we don't have to, then he died for our sins. He died for everybody's sins before they got, I mean, before us. Mm -hmm. Now, we can repent to him, but he brought the record clear. So when we come into his world, we, we cleanse ourselves by his act. But he, we have to walk in the holiness. We have to desire that. Or the Holy Spirit's not convicting us. And if you're walking in sin and you're not being convicted, because you're not counting. You're not countable. That's all we can say. Not accountable. No, you're not counted in it. Mm -hmm. There's the sheep and then there's the terrors. Okay, we need to understand. I don't think God is as understanding as we would like him to be after what Jesus did. Because if you send your son to do something and they don't respect that, whoa. Mm. Yeah. Think that through for a moment. And all we know, let me end on this. At the end of Matthew, he's, he was a witness. He was there. He said, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, which includes Gentiles. Teach them what I said. Baptize them. Okay, in the name of the Father and Son. But teach them to follow my commandments. We cannot override that. I can't thank you enough for sharing your insights and your perspective and this book, What Jesus, What Did Jesus Say? The Seven Messages uh, from the Master. Uh, my guest has been uh, Reverend Terry Allen Christian, and uh, we have been talking about this book and so much more. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate your insights. Uh, uh, but again, as you, I'm sure, would direct people, you know, read the words of Jesus, the red letter edition, if you can get it, and they're available everywhere, or get a copy of the book. What did Jesus say? You have, uh, you have three different websites that we, we uh, can talk about real quickly here before we wrap up to schedule uh, uh, a talk of, at your particular church or Bible study group. You can go to foundationsforlife.org, foundationsforlife.org. You can even ask him a question if you take uh, take umbrage. I love that word, umbrage. Uh, with what uh, uh, Reverend has said, you can go to uh, helpinchrist.com. Helpinchrist.com. And then if you would like uh, to get um, a color ebook, uh, an audio book format of this work, you can go to WDJS. That's WDJS.info. For more information, so you, th this book is in audible form. Is that correct? Yeah, let's change that last uh, website address. Sure, please. it's wdjsbook.com. All right, wdjsbook.com. Yeah. We have it in 170 page paperback. We have it in EPUB, Kindle, and audiobook version. And I'm curious. Okay. I'm curious. I hope I'm right on this. You were the narrator, weren't you? <laughs> I did it all. Yeah. Uh, I have. So there's a lady that introduces uh, you at the beach. And then when they say, and Jesus said, and then I talk. 
and you, you hear the seagulls and you're walking down the beach. Oh. It's very reverently beautiful. Marvelous. And no opinions, no comments. I've been doing this for, I've been in this business for uh, over 40 years. And I come across people all the time who have just phenomenal, uh, wonderful uh, voices. And yours, I, 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 you know, I say this to keep you humble here. Okay, I want to keep you humble. But you've got one of those voices that is ideal for for uh, recording audiobooks, and that's wonderful because it's great to be able to listen to somebody's work uh, in that format, and uh, and you can put it in your car or where where wherever you're at. I have to tell you, I've done a few interviews out on the beach in a couple of beach chairs with my digital recorder. Those are wonderful. So for and I know you didn't record it at the beach, but it's wonderful uh, sound and ambiance to have as a part of that. And again, we thank you for that. And I have to I have to chuckle here because when I looked at the website, that last one, wdjsbook.info, I'm going to get it correct so for folks. No, book.com. Book.com. I beg your pardon. That's wdjsbook.com. I'm going, what does WDJS stand for? And then it's like, oh, yeah, what did Jesus say? And my guest has been the author, the compiler. Let's put it that way, the compiler, uh, Reverend Terry Allen Christian. And again, I thank you so much. You know, should you ever leave the island and you'd like to come out to the West Coast, we'd love to have you in studio to continue this conversation. We can certainly do another one via Skype, which works just fine. Um, and, uh, and again, it would be a, a great to, to continue this, uh, any, anything in the works, uh, in the near future for you, uh, uh, a literarily one. Well, uh, yes. Uh, the next book will be walking with the master, which would be the, the, the journey that I've been on to get here. Um, I'm in, uh, Negril, Jamaica by the grace of a family that makes it affordable for me to be here. I help Christians online worldwide and I speak at the local churches and schools. I love helping the parents with leadership skills for the children. Mm. Uh, that's from my motivational days. So I'm ending my life uh, at a very moment of a dream. Um, and so, and I went through a lot of tribulation to get here. So my testimony is, is strong worldwide. And I would love to have another show with you. And we just talked about the diversities of Christian religions. Now, I think we should just dump it out there and see what happens and go for it. Sure. I, I, I am open to that. And when we're finished, we'll set up another another uh, uh, interview uh, in a, a few weeks, and we'll put that together as well. Now, well, It's just openly fellowship about what we heard, what we've seen, and what we know. Exactly right. I, I love that. Those conversations are wonderful because each of us has— I love what—I don't know if you've ever read uh, James Redfield's The Celestine Prophecy— but he talks about how we we have messages one for the other. And and uh, uh, I, I just find that extraordinary that we can share those messages. It helps us to better understand who we are as well as the other person. Uh, I often look at someone I observe them and and sometimes in, in, in my most humble uh, uh, voice, I, I would say, and it's usually internally, what is it that you're so afraid of that you have to behave this way, that you have to speak this way, that you have to be? Why Why are you so scared of the rest of us that you have to push us away like that? And But that also helps me to understand the fears that I have inside. So I think that'd be a wonderful thing. I do have three final questions for you, Reverend. And uh, I ask these of my guests uh, each program. I'll ask them of you directly. Uh, and they are number one. Who is 
Terry Allen Christian. I'm a minister to the body of Christ. I'm called to help Christians. H-E-L-P stands for helping everyone live peacefully in Christ. My entire life is devoted to that. I've already fulfilled my life the way I wanted to do. I almost died of cancer 10 years ago, so I was given life when I was told I would die in three years. Um, and so my life is devoted to finish my message, which is walking with the master to teach Christians how to come together in unity from their religious divisions and learn and do what Jesus said. That's all I've been, that's all I'm called to do. I was told in a near death experience at 23, that's what I would do. And uh, I'm doing it. So that's who I am. Number two, and you've sort of answered uh, these next two questions, but I'm going to put them out there anyway. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you have, uh, that you're doing now? Uh, I, I know that I am called to say something to Christians that'll, that'll knock the walls down of religious divisions created by man. I've always been troubled by that. I've never participated in any denominational, non-denominational, or personality-driven church in my entire life. I've visited them, been around them, so I'm here to break these walls down. The saddest day in our life is when it comes to our reckoning with Jesus and those who thought they were Christians discovered they never knew him. Hmm. Matthew 7, 21, 23. And number three, the final question is, what is your life's purpose to knock the walls down of the religious uh, barriers that keep people from believing that what Jesus said is relevant if you're going after any other person in the Bible uh, thinking you're following Jesus and you haven't read what Jesus said because you think it's not relevant then you are sincerely wrong I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and I look forward to our next conversation which we will set up and we'll let the folks know when and where and uh, also let our listeners know of those websites one more time. And uh, the first one I'm going to say is WDJSbook.com. The second one is HelpInChrist.com. And that's where you can ask uh, Reverend uh, Christian a question. And then if you would like to schedule Reverend Christian for your church or Bible study group, you can go to foundationsforlife.org. And again, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. And I thank you for listening to the program. I hope this was informative and educational and entertaining as well. And uh, I hope that you will uh, maybe uh, make it a part of your, uh, your reading to pick up a copy of, if you don't have a red letter edition of the New Testament, then get a copy of What Did Jesus Say? The Seven Messages from the master i'm richard duke and this has been tell me your story new paradigms for a new world we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true until our next broadcast podcast love to lol